Hey everybody, welcome back to another installment of the Double Down, a WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchuk alongside Stephen Trinkwald, and yes, you heard correctly, we do have intro music. So thank you very much to my good friend Dan O'Leary for providing that. We hope this episode finds you safe and healthy. Uh, Stephen, today we're going to talk about the Dallas Wings. Last year they finished 10-24, and 24, which is second to last place in the league. Net rating, 10th, negative 7.5 points per 100 possessions. Offensive rank, 11th, 94.0 points scored per 100 possessions. Defensive rank, not much better. They were 10th. They allowed 101.6 points per 100 possessions. So, Stephen, where do you start with this? I mean, the Wings, they didn't really excel at a heck of a lot in 2019. They didn't. And, you know, you had mentioned they were 11th in offense and 10th in defense. But I actually feel better about them as an offensive team moving forward. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later than a defensive team. But last year on offense, it was a bit of a slog. 11th in transition efficiency, 11th in half-court efficiency, the third lowest transition frequency. So there wasn't a whole lot that they did amazingly well. They were number one in terms of the isolation frequency, only eighth in three-point attempt rate, seventh in free throw attempt rate eighth in terms of the lowest turnover percentage. They were second in terms of their offensive rebound rate, but on offense, not a lot of it was pretty. Number one in isolation frequency, and that's for an offense that ranked second to last in the league. What does that say to you? Were they isolating too frequently? Was it a result of not getting into their sets too early? Because they didn't really rank that high up there in pace either. Yeah, for me, I think there were a couple of things that kind of contributed to that number, number one in isolation frequency. One, as the season progressed, they just kind of wanted to put the ball in Arike Gumbawale's hands more and more, really kind of get her sea legs under her and kind of have her find her stride as a, as a creator for herself and others. Another thing, you know, I don't think they really kind of ran the most creative sets. And I think in late clock and late game situations, it was really a little bit more hero ball than maybe I would be comfortable with. And of course, Arike Gunwale, I think we're going to be talking about her a lot on this episode. But before we get into that, I just kind of wanted to provide some context regarding this Wings roster. There was a lot that happened prior to the 2019 season that kind of put them in a difficult position before the season even really got going. Of course, their franchise point guard, Skylar Diggins-Smith, she gave birth prior to the season. She was battling postpartum depression and did not play the entire 2019 season. And then they, of course, traded Liz Cambage to the Las Vegas Aces. Um, so there goes their dominant center as well. So right away before the season even began, like, you know, they, they lost both their primary shot creator, primary post presence, basically their two best players, right? And then Mariah Jefferson, starting caliber point guard, who they got as part of the Liz Cambage trade, also did not play in 2019 due to injury. And then you had Azari Stevens, all-rookie contributor in 2018. She was dealing with a foot injury on and off. She didn't play much. Tabor Hill played just four games uh, before an injury kind of knocked her out. So the message here is that the team's depth was pretty much gutted before they could even really establish themselves. So that kind of regarded, or that kind of resulted rather in an Arike Agunwale heavy offense and just, just a team that I felt didn't really have much of an identity. Yeah, I would agree with that in terms of not having an identity. It, it was kind of hard to pick out other than, you know, individual players maybe performing well, what they did well as a team offensively. You know, there were maybe some Small things just in terms of not turning the ball over, as I mentioned before, you know, offensive rebounding at a pretty good clip. But just in terms of like what they wanted to do, it, it was kind of hard to pinpoint that other than give the ball to Arike Gumbawale and watch her do what she does. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, you know, this, this team was, it actually ranked dead last in the WNBA in pace. And that's, I feel like kind of a Brian Agler staple. His teams don't typically 
get that many transition opportunities. They like to run the clock down. They like to work in the half court. But of course, this personnel vastly different from what he was working with in Los Angeles or you know, back in the day when he was coaching Seattle. So what did you see in their half court compared to their transition? You know, we like to talk about this a lot. Transition offense is good, but the Wings didn't get a heck of a lot of it. They didn't. Um, you're absolutely right. In terms of their transition offense, you know, I think when they did run, Arike Gumboale showed some promise in the transition game, to be sure. She was not amazing as an individual scorer, but her assist percentage, you know, jumped way up in transition as opposed to in the half court. So, and just as a little bit of a comparison, Agumbawale was in the 26th percentile in transition. Well, she was in the 62nd percentile as a pick and roll ball handler and her points per play in transition was 0.885, 26th percentile, as I mentioned, and her points per play in as a pick and roll ball handler was 0.752. So on one type of play, she's very effective. On In the other type of play, she's not very effective, but that's relative to kind of league average. So you can see even being in the 26th percentile in transition, like you're just a more effective team that way. You're, you're just going to score more efficiently. Sure, that's, that makes sense. And, you know, Arike was a player who, as I was watching her play, you know, as a senior at Notre Dame, I thought, wow, she's, she's going to be a really good transition player in the WNBA because she's got that explosiveness. She's got the body to take contact and finish at the rim. And she's just so good at, at drawing that contact and getting free throws. What I saw from, this, uh, from the transition statistics from Synergy when I was looking this up, Ricky was actually fourth in the WNBA in transition possessions per game after Diamond Shields, Odyssey Sims, and Alyssa Thomas. But that accounted for only 15.6% of her possessions, um, whereas Diamond, Sims, and Alyssa Thomas were all above 20% as, as far as transition possessions accounting for the total. So I, I feel like when you've got a player like Arike, you just, you just kind of want to get her in the open court, get her in space as much as often as you can. You know, she shot just 37.3% on those transition opportunities. So as you said, not tremendously efficient, but she did draw free throws over 20% of the time. So again, it's just, it's just a super effective situation, especially for a player of her skill and athleticism. So that's definitely something I want to see more out of her as you know, as she grows, maybe as the team grows. So yeah, is there anything else you kind of wanted to hit on regarding that? Because I mean, we see it all the time, transition, do more of it. <laughs> One thing that I did kind of want to touch on was you mentioned that they were dead last in pace. And that was a little surprising to me just because, you know, pace accounts for both ways, right? Sure. So of course, they were a very slow offense themselves, but they were tied for the third highest frequency of transition opportunities allowed. So even though they were pretty effective in slowing down those on a per play basis, you know, they, they gave up a ton of transition opportunities on the defensive end. So to hear that they were dead last in pace, I think that really kind of speaks to how much they slowed it down on the offensive end. That's very interesting context there. That's, I think that's important to mention. Like when, when, when we talk about pace, it's just the possessions per 40 minutes figure you see on WNBA.com or basketball reference. I think it's important to clarify that, but yeah, I mean, Dallas, you can tell they wanted to slow things down in the, in the half court. You mentioned to me off air that you said multiple times you could see Brian Agler saying, slow down, slow down, when Enrique got the ball up past the, past the half court line. Yeah, it was, it was a little frustrating to kind of watch because I do think Enrique Agumbawale, one, sort of needs to be able to have the space to kind of figure things out. And, you know, she had a 30% usage rating. So obviously they're okay with her sort of taking her time and figuring things out. But what I didn't really understand was why that would apply so much to the half court and, and not to transition opportunities. You know, obviously, in terms of development, the half-court stuff will come along a little bit slower. So 
you know, I guess if you really want to give Brian Eckler some credit here, you want as many of those reps as possible. But, you know, I think it comes from more of a conservatism as a coach, more, more so than developmental reps in the half court. Uh, and that's, that's something where I think, you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall when in, in, in Brian Eckler's locker room and his film room because I can definitely see why he would want Arike to be, to be getting so many reps at point guard. And like I said, this is kind of why I, I went over the team's context beforehand because they didn't really – they were getting absolutely nothing out of the point guard position prior to, uh, you know, Arike effectively sliding over there full time. So it was almost more of like we're probably not going to make the playoffs this season and we know Arike is going to be a player we want to build around in the future. So let's just develop her as much as we can. I'm not sure – again, I'm not sure if that was 100% the approach or not, but if it was – I could definitely understand it. Yeah, and with all the injuries that you had mentioned, you know, they were playing Kayla Davis at point guard for kind of large stretches to start the season. So uh, they were in a tough spot um, before Arike kind of took over as sort of the primary ball handler. So, And take over she did. Of course, Arike, you know, she um, it was well documented how, how much better she was in the second half of the season. But I really had to look at the splits um, month by month to, to realize just how good Arike got towards the end of the season. In May and June, she had a true shooting percentage of about 41.3%, so not very efficient. Then in July, it was 45%, you know, kind of middle of the road, a little better, but middle of the road. But in August and September, which I combined because there were only three games played in September, her efficiency took off. Her true shooting percentage was 56.9%, which is really, really good, especially for a a player with, with such high usage now, and this I attributed to several factors. You know, it's been talked about plenty that the refs weren't really calling anything in the first half of the season, first two thirds of the season. And then you saw an increase in free throw rate as the season went on. Arike's free throw rate took a huge jump in May and June. It was about 0.147, which is pretty low by August and September. She was getting to the line at a ridiculous rate 0.449. That's, that's insane. You, you, were, you were seeing several games where she was getting to the line eight times per game, nine times per game, ten times per game. That will do wonders for your scoring efficiency. Also, she was just hitting her three-pointers. From May, from May to June, she went from 29.1% down to 27.5% in July. Then in August and September, which again are combined, 44.8% from three. So if you are getting to the line as much as Enrique did late in the season and – if you're hitting those three-pointers as well at that almost half of them, that's definitely going to do wonders for your scoring efficiency. And if I could just jump in, that increase in three-point efficiency also coincided with a decrease in three-point attempt rate. So she was taking fewer threes and converting them at a a higher clip. Right. So what what would you make of that? Was she getting to the rim more often? Well, she was getting to the line more often, as you highlighted. And I think the threes that she was taking were just they were just better looks. And I think there really was kind of a difference in her three-point shooting, at least kind of watching the misses, which, which I think can usually be even more telling than the makes. You know, when she didn't have an opportunity to really get her feet set and shoot on balance, and I think this happened more frequently early in the season than late in the season, you know, the misses were pretty ugly there. And I think those decreased over the course of the season, you know, early in the season when she was playing more of an off-guard role and not really kind of cranking up the usage as we saw later on in the season, they were running her kind of off a lot of pin downs and off-ball screens and getting her open. And I thought that was, you know, a pretty effective play for them, you know, as they sort of 
lean towards them more as they maybe get some more playmakers on the roster and it's not such a kind of heliocentric offense where, where she's sort of doing everything. I thought kind of running her off screens could be a pretty effective weapon for them, but this is where a lot of her sort of off-balance threes came from also. You know, the ones where she wasn't really able to sort of get balanced and, you know, get her feet set. I think as her as her footwork and, and balance improves here, this is really going to be a, a nice weapon for them if they if they play her alongside another point guard. Yeah, for sure. I think it's kind of a vanilla play and something people are going to be expecting. But I mean, when you've got a player like Enrique, who, in my opinion, is already one of the best players in the league at getting her own shot, and maybe creating and hitting tough shots and getting something out of the nothing, you, you're going to want to put the ball in her hands more often than not. So now kind of going off of that, the Wings also had a pretty good complimentary player last season. You want to talk a bit about Alicia Gray? Yeah, I mean, I think Alicia Gray, it could be argued that she was their best overall player last year, just in terms of combining offense and defense. You know, obviously did not have the sort of offensive burden that Arike Gumbawale had, obviously. But, I mean, she had just a fantastic season. Uh, she was a great outside shooter. She was in the 92nd percentile in catch-and-shoot opportunities. Attacks closeouts really well, was in the 98th percentile on spot-ups. And that makes sense, right? Because, you know, she is a great catch-and-shoot player, and she can attack hard off the closeout, can get to the line there. You know, was one of the best players in the entire league in free throw attempt rate. There were four players who played 200 minutes, which is, you know, not a very high bar to clear here. We're talking like Stephanie Mavunga minutes. So among all players who played at least 200 minutes, Alicia Gray was fifth in free throw attempt rate. And the four players above her, Tierra McCowan, Bree Jones, Elizabeth Williams, Christina Nigue. So four centers and then Alicia Gray and Asia Wilson right behind her. So her free throw attempt rate was off the charts, 0.438 free throw attempt rate. So for pretty much every 10 field goal attempts she's taking, she's also getting to the line four times. Yeah, and that's really good, especially for an offense, I think, that, as we said, was kind of a slog. Um, like, they were last in pace. They really wanted to run deep into the shot clock. It, it was kind of a – it was not, a, not even kind of. It was really a struggle. So if you have a player who can get to the free throw line like that, plus Enrique Gunbowale was pretty good at getting the free throw line herself. So that's, I think, that's maybe a little bit of a silver lining for this Wings offense. But other than that, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about with Alicia? Because she was – when I looked at the numbers that you posted, I was very surprised. I didn't realize she was that good. You know, this is a player who takes a decent amount of her shots from three. She'll post up smaller players. 62% shooting around the basket. I mean, for a wing, that that is extremely good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I just love Alicia Gray's overall game. You know, I think defensively, she is maybe not a lockdown defender. You know, someone that you're going to just throw on the very best wings. And she can do that admirably, but I think you know, her, her value defensively comes more as sort of like a help defender, a team defender type where she is just going to be a piece of a successful system. You know, obviously she wasn't a piece of a successful system last year because the system was <laughs> terrible, but I, I think she is that type of defender where, you know, she can play pretty much one through three, maybe some fours admirably. So, I mean, overall, she's just a very malleable player can fit kind of no matter what it is you're doing, you know, doesn't maybe have the most versatile three-point shot in the world, but it is effective when she gets them off there. Okay, so you said they didn't really have a very effective defensive system. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh my God, what a train wreck. <laughs> uh, so they were 10th in opponents' points in the paint per 100 possessions. They were 11th in the league in, in guarding post-ups. So I struggled to find the bigs on their roster that really kind of do this well or do much of anything well defensively, I guess. Isabel Harrison really struggled guarding the post. She was in the 13th percentile. Christina Nigue, 
Very limited possessions, but in the zeroth percentile defending post-ups. Zeroth. The very worst player in the league, folks. They were in the bottom two in defending both aspects of the pick and roll, you know, ball handlers and rollers. I mentioned before their, their transition, you know, their efficiency was good, but their frequency was not good. They were 11th in half court efficiency. So not to beat a dead horse here, but they were very good in transition efficiency and allowed 0.978 points per play and had a very bad half court efficiency and allowed 0.884 points per possession. So, you know, we say it all the time, but transition offense is good and everyone should try to do it more. They were 12th in opponents free throw attempt rate. So they really just fouled a ton and put opposing teams at the line. Maybe the one thing you could say that they did pretty well was they were 10th in the lowest three-point attempt rate, but the other team didn't have to take threes because they were scoring at the basket and getting to the free throw line. Steven, you said not to beat a dead horse here, but when a team goes 10 and 24, I think it's fair to harp on what they did wrong. And uh, yeah, there's there a lot here that the Wings really struggled with. I will see your, your opponent's free throw attempt rate, and I will raise you a frequency in the paint. So the league average, shout out to uh, Paul Swanson of Minnesota Link Statistics for this, by the way. The league average was about 32% from five feet and in. Um, so teams took roughly maybe a little under a third of their shots from within, uh, five feet. Against the wings, opponents took almost 35% of their shots one to five feet from the basket. So that's not like, that doesn't sound huge, but again, it was second to last in the league. So the paint was a problem. Dallas also, on, on their own, they only shot 28.2% of their shots from that distance, which was second to last in the league. So the paint was a problem on both ends of the floor. And like you said, if you can't defend the pick and roll, if you can't defend without fouling, it's pretty easy to see what's going on here. I think even if you just look at the statistics, the Wings had a massive problem defending the rim last year and defending the paint. And it's, it's impossible to put together a good defense if you can't do that. I mean, who were in theory even the good defensive players that were an active part of this roster. I mean, Alicia Gray, we talked about her. I think Kayla Thornton is a good defensive player. Yeah. Izzy Harrison, I think, is a good switch defender. You know, she's pretty good in the perimeter and and kind of led to them maybe being one of the more switchy teams in the league. But even in theory, if everything went well, who was supposed to be good on defense on this team? I I think Imani McGee-Stabber could block some shots for you. Yeah, for sure. She's definitely... I think a good defensive playmaker, if, you know, inconsistent, maybe overall. Okay, that's fair. Now, Imani McGee-Stafford will not be playing for them next year. Sure, contract was suspended because she's pursuing a degree in law. So congratulations to her. All yeah, shout fun. out to her. Yeah, shout out for her. That's, that's amazing. Imani's dope. We love Imani around here. But uh, Imani is not the only one who's not going to be back next year. This Wings team has a lot of turnover. And do you want to kind of get into what they're going to look like next year? Because I think that's a major question. Yeah, sure. So we touched on it a little bit. They're losing Glory Johnson, Christina Nigue, Kayla Davis, Azura Stevens, Amani McGee-Stafford, Taylor Hill, and Brooke McCarty-Williams, bringing in Mariah Jefferson, who we mentioned on earlier, Taisha Harris, Marina Mabry, Katie Lou Samuelson, Satu Sabali, Bella Allery, and a student due. So a lot of turnover. Where should we start? Well, why don't we kind of go back to something you said earlier? You said that... Uh... The Wings, you you like how they look on offense with this new look roster. Well, I guess I just think they have a a better chance of improving offensively than they do defensively, mostly because they subbed out their defensive players like Glory Johnson and Amani McGee-Stafford for 
more kind of offensive players. You know, Megan Gustafson was a part of the team last year, but she looks like she'll play a little bit more. Katie Lou Samuelson was probably set to play a decent amount of minutes. Bella Allery, I'm sure, is going to play heavy minutes as, as a first-round pick. They'll be giving, you know, big minutes to at least two rookies with Allery and Sabley. You know, Sabley, I'm sure, will develop into a good defensive player, but it remains to be seen how effective she'll be as a rookie. So they just don't have a lot of defensive talent, but I think they have maybe more good offensive players than they had last year. I agree with that. And I'd also like to mention, like, they have a legitimate point guard rotation again. I'm not sure how many minutes Mariah Jefferson is going to be playing. Like, she hasn't really played that much for years now, which is very unfortunate because she was one of the most explosive and, and exciting point guards to watch when she was a rookie in San Antonio. But I think if she's, if she's back and healthy, she'll be able to add a little bit of that transition offense that we keep, we keep trying to uh, get, them to, get them to push for. And also another good three-point shooter. And just a, a player who can take some of the load off of Arike as a point guard. We, we talked about she got a lot of good looks as a point guard, but as far as team offense is concerned, like their offense was pretty one-dimensional towards the end of the season last year. So just getting a, a legitimate point guard rotation with Taisha Harris backing up Mariah, and then, of course, you've got more shooting off the bench in Keita Samuelson and Bella Allery. And then you've got a student who they invested pretty heavily in, you know, the sign-and-trade, they're paying her very handsomely. Uh, who can stretch the floor for you a bit on offense as well. So I think for offense, like, I hate to kind of be like this, but the only way to go is up with this team. They've just got a significant talent upgrade offensively. Well, and I, I want to maybe take a step back to something that you were just talking on, and, and that's sure. the point guard rotation. You know, I, I think either way, Enrique Gumbawale is going to be sort of the primary ball handler for this team. So I think, you know, you kind of have to make a decision on whether you want to play her with another point guard-sized player or you want to just play another wing alongside her and have Arike as your point guard. And I think there are maybe a few factors that kind of go into this. And first, how much secondary offense is Satu Sabali and the other wings going to give you, um, you know, Alicia Gray, Kayla Thornton. The other thing is if you think Arike should be guarding point guards or wings, you know, I think a lot of their switching system last year stemmed from Arike's struggles getting through and around screens. But that's definitely something she could improve as her career develops. So, and I'm sure they'll give looks to kind of both of these, but in terms of sort of your closing lineup when you're trying to win games, whether you want her just kind of with three, two or three other wings on the court, or if you want, you know, an actual point guard playing alongside her guarding point guards. And I think for now, maybe Enrique should stick to guarding kind of twos or threes. You know, she has good strength. What do you think? Do you think she should kind of play primarily? alongside just a couple more wings or or should a point guard be on the floor at all times with her I, I hate to be that guy but it depends like if you go and get I mean they acquired two point guards over the offseason in Taisha Harris and Marina Mabry of course neither of them are, are going to come in and, and be immediate big time contributors but I think I think the wings kind of realize that hey they've got a they've got a depth issue at point guard and they can't really go a full season and expect to compete with Arike kind of playing both roles if you will Although I do agree with you, like in a late game situation, it would be more beneficial if you have Arike and just spacing and, and then spacing the floor as much as possible because she was pretty competent as a point guard last season. I was just kind of more overall impressed at how little she turned the ball over. You know, she had the eighth best turnover percentage in the league, sub 10% turnover for someone with a, above 22% assist percentage and a 30% usage rate. I mean, to only turn the ball over that infrequently is, is pretty amazing. And, you know, that, that 22% assist percentage, that's, you know, not amazing for a primary ball handler. But with the 
ball in her hands as often as Arike had last season, you know, I thought enough of her assists were like real kind of value added assists, you know, diming people up under the basket, drawing help attention in the half court and sort of finding people. There are enough of, of those assists that weren't just kind of a swing. And then that person just kind of attacks the dribble, like, like we'll see with kind of credited assists sometimes. I, I do think she showed an ability to be a high leverage passer. You know, she wasn't perfect to be sure. There were some missed opportunities. There were some bad passes, but I, I did, the, the turnovers were impressive to be sure or lack thereof. And the, the assists that she did dish out, I think, were promising. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt that for a while that the most underrated part of Rike's game is her distributing ability. Just because she doesn't pass maybe as much as someone would like her to, that's kind of one of the knocks on her game. I, I go back and forth on that. But she is, a, she is a good distributor, and she knows how to make plays for others. And like, if, if you're getting into the paint like she can, she's like I said, I think she's one of the best players already at getting her own shot and getting into the paint, getting to the rim. It would definitely behoove the wings to space the floor as much as they can because she is a willing passer when she's being surrounded by that much shooting. And like we said, last year their offense was a total mess. So it being the Eureka show was not necessarily an indictment against her. I think the offense will be more, in fact, I know the offense will be more egalitarian next season. But, you know, you've got a lot there to work with in just Eureka and plus shooters. So down the stretch, yeah, I think I would like to see Arike plus shooters. But like I said before, Brian Agler is a process-oriented coach, and he's got a vet point guard in Mariah Jefferson now. So it wouldn't surprise me to see this team still kind of ranked low in the league in pace, but they'll be more egalitarian for sure on offense. Yeah, and just to kind of finish up defensively with the positional things we were just talking about, I, I think the two places where Arike struggled most was getting over screens in the pick and roll and you know, just overall kind of dribble penetration. A lot of point guards are just naturally quicker than her. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was a problem and put the defense at a compromising in a compromising position pretty frequently. So, you know, I think for now, maybe she should be guarding wings primarily, but, you know, there's definitely room in a rebuild like this to try out different things. Should we talk about some of the, the young players? We shall, and they have plenty of them. All right, so they drafted, of course, Satu Sabali out of Oregon at number two overall. Then they went with Bella Allery at number five and then Taisha Harris at number seven. So they are investing. They're going to be giving a lot of minutes to young players next season. And, of course, that's not – Arika is going to be in her second season. Alicia Gray is still pretty young. Katie Samuelson is going to be in her second season. Megan Gustafson is going to be in her second season. So this is going to be a very, very young team. Where do you, where do you kind of want to start with this? Well, I want to start because something I found interesting off the pod was – when we were kind of talking about who their their starting lineup would be. So who who do you think their starting five and maybe more importantly, their closing five will be? I kind of hashed out the depth chart. Like it's, it's pretty difficult to, to, to predict this team because it's so young and it's going to be so much different than it was last year. But I think you have to start Mariah Jefferson if she is granted, if she is healthy, because she is that bad point guard that I believe Brian Agler will be drawn to starting. Uh, then Kayla Thornton at, at the three, which I know we, we might disagree a little bit on, but she is, I think, the team's best primary defender. Can we at least, or on-ball defender? Can we at least agree on that? Yeah, particularly for probably bigger wings. Sure. I mean, you have to have somebody at least in your starting lineup who you can throw on on an elite perimeter scorer. And so many teams out there, I mean, have that that player. Like, who is who's going to be guarding the primary scorer on the wing for the opposing team? So I think that's got to be Kayla Thornton at least to start the game. Then at the four, I think. Honestly, I kind of waffle between this. Like at the four and five, you've got Izzy Harrison and Stu and Du, who I think are probably going to be starting. But it's like, does it really matter which player is playing where? Because like, 
as we said, Isabel Harrison was not a very good post defender. She's undersized, but is she a four on offense? I'm not convinced. Is there a starting caliber big on this team? I think honestly, I think Astu and Do is is the best big on this team. We we didn't see much. We haven't seen much of her, but as far as skills and what she brings to the team, I mean, what she's long. Uh, she's a good rebounder. She can shoot the three point shot. She can protect the rim. Is she going to be a beast in the post? No, she is extremely slight frame. But out of all the players that the Wings kind of have, I think she is the most, realistically speaking, she's probably the best overall front court option. Would you agree with that? I mean, she's certainly the closest thing they have to a two-way player, right? Yeah. I, in, in the front court, yes, I agree with that. So let, let's talk about the Wings positions a little bit. You know, you had mentioned that you think Kayla Thornton is going to start. I was surprised that you weren't predicting uh, Sabley to start for them. And beyond that, you know, I just think Alicia Gray is, if they're not going to start Sabley, like Alicia Gray is just a much better player than Kayla Thornton, even though, you know, she might not have the size for some of the bigger wings. I think she just is a vastly superior offensive player and not that much of a downgrade defensively. I agree with you that she's a vastly superior offensive player. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Kayla Thornton, I think, is kind of a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of player, and that is someone who will battle for every single second she's on the floor. And I love watching Kayla Thornton. Don't get me wrong. She's one of the hardest-working players in the league whenever she's on the floor. I love watching her hustle. Okay, so how about this? Yeah, no disrespect to Kayla Thornton. I I love her game, to be sure. Like There are other players who I may be critical of who I'm not as high on, but I think Kayla Thornton is a terrific rotation player and could play big minutes for just about any team in the league. I'd love to have Kayla Thornton on my team. Um, so how, how about this? What if they do start a Ricky at point guard, like you said, then they could find a way to get Alicia Gray into the starting lineup. Would you think that would be better? Well, I mean, it's so tough to say without kind of knowing exactly what you're going to get from Jefferson, but I think some combination of a Gumbawale, Gray, Thornton gives you sort of your best players on the court. Okay. And, you know, obviously you want to have Satu Sabali on there, on there as well. I don't know if either Thornton or Sabali can really play big minutes at the four. It remains to be seen, but this team is going to be bad on defense anyway. Just play offensive lineups. That's a good point. I mean, like you said, you're definitely higher on them offensively than defensively. I totally agree with you. I just don't see how they upgraded much defensively. In fact, they might've gotten worse actually. Um, But again, they're a rebuilding team, right? You drafted mainly offensive minded people. You have a roster full of mainly offensive minded people. So why not go with what you're good at? Um, and you talk about Satu Sabli, and I, I just kind of want to get into this a little bit. She's a tremendously gifted offensive player, right? She's six foot four. She's long. She's got guard skills. She almost kind of reminds me of a Dewana Bonner, but used in a different way. Like at Oregon, you know, they ran a very forward-thinking offensive system with, of course, Sabrina Unescu and Ruthie Hebert running all those pick and rolls, and they went with max floor spacing every time. So I almost think that like Satu Sabli's full offensive skill set wasn't on display at Oregon. It's funny, like if you look at her stats and synergy under all the offensive categories, it's like excellent, 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 very good, excellent. So, I mean, the stats love her, but how much of that is playing in a very good offensive system, I think is a legit question. However, if you just watch her play, I think there's no doubt about it. She's going to be a matchup problem because she's got the length and she's got the skills. I think she could probably start at the three because she's got the lateral movement, but playing her at the four will create some problems for opponents on defense. And like you said, the wings are going to be bad defensively anyway. So it's not like you're going to be playing many defensive minded lineups because it's just not possible. But yeah, so, I mean, so let me ask you, do you think yeah. Satu Sabali can like at least credibly guard opposing fours to start out? You know, maybe down the line is a different story, but 
you know, is she just going to get kind of put in the goal by, you know, the Asia Wilsons or? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, first of all, like, like that's, that's kind of an extreme example. I think like who doesn't get put in the goal by Asia Wilson. Right. But I, I, it's going to be a lot to ask of her to guard the Asia Wilsons or the Neko Guma case of the week, maybe against power forwards who aren't as big of a threat, like down low, like for example, maybe against Chicago, right. You could, you could probably get away with playing side two at the four against a team like Connecticut. Uh uh-uh. uh, I don't think that's going to work for her. I, I think I'd expect her to play most of her minutes at the three. I expect her to play most of all the, the wings rookies, just because she's that good, and because she can she can create those matchup uh, problems on offense. She's got a ton of upside. Remember, she's leaving school a year early, so she's got kind of another year of pro experience to, to work with. And I don't think she's being like blocked by a clear starting player like Taisha Harris and Bella Ellery are. There's a reason why they picked her at number two. She was the best player available. She's only going to get better. Like, she's got a very high ceiling. I'm very high on Satu Sabali. Okay, should we hit on maybe some of the other young players? I, I had some questions I wanted to ask you in regards to how you think this is going to shake out for Dallas and, I guess, how much further they need to go in regards to their, their rebuild. So before we kind of get into that, I'm, I just kind of want to get on the other two first-round draft picks. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Bella Allery, very storied career at Princeton University. Easily the best player in the Ivy League, like for three straight seasons. My question for her is, can the Ivy League success translate? And this is a this is a thing I think you have you you ask this question of many mid major players. I saw a lot of people, or not maybe a lot of people, but some people. I don't want to make a straw man argument here, but there were comparisons floating around, like, oh, she's the next Elena Deladon, she's the next Brianna Stewart. Um, no, <laughs> that's that's a pretty unfair comparison for for Bella Allery, I think, just because those those players are so elite at the professional level. But yeah, like my question is, can the Ivy League success translate? Like she was a beast in the post at Princeton. Like she was in the 90th, I believe, percentile in both post offense and post defense. But like, if you watch her play, she's not the best athlete. I think most of that was just a result of her just being bigger than everyone else. She shot around 50% around the basket. Like if you think of a six foot four post player, you're a front court player rather, like you probably want that to be a little better. I think the main thing you're going to see from Bella Allery coming in right away is to be either a pick and pop player or somebody who can at least space the floor at the four position. It's difficult for me to kind of look at her Princeton numbers and say, okay, she shoots this percentage from three because she's attracting so much defensive attention from her collegiate opponents, right? So it's kind of hard for me to come in and say like, okay, she's going to have this amount of volume because she's not, right? That's, that's just totally unrealistic for her. Is there any chance she can guard her position? That's a very good question. I think she's going to be better guarding post-ups than she is guarding pick and rolls. And that's, that's something that I think most rookies would be better at is guarding the post than guarding pick and rolls. Because in college, you know, you don't have defensive three seconds. You don't have the emphasis on floor spacing that you do with most WNBA teams. So guarding ball screens, especially against really athletic players and players who are so strong and explosive at the four position and the five positions is a challenging approach. It's, it's another reason why I think Bella Allery may see inconsistent minutes as she kind of navigates her way through guarding WNBA offenses. But on offense, I think you're going to see her mainly as a floor spacer early on, just so she can kind of focus on excelling at one thing. Also because you, you if they play Sadly at the four, if they play Thorne at the four, they, again, they invested heavily in a stew and do, and she's a player who can come in right away and contribute. I don't see as clear a road for starting level minutes for Allery as they do Sadly. But I think she can she can contribute at least one thing right away, and that is outside shooting from the four position. So who do you think 
will play more minutes next year, Katie Lou Samuelson or Bella Allery? I'm going to go Allery because I think there are simply more players ahead of Samuelson. You've got Thornton, who, as we said, is going to be the team's primary defender out there as you know agree or disagree with whether or not she should be playing I think she will be playing at least 20 minutes a game and then Satya Sabali who of course they are going to want to play a lot and then maybe if you've got Alicia Gray at three as well this kind of goes back to what we were talking about on the Chicago episode what is Katie Lou Samuelson's position I mean I think she's got to be a four right Obviously, you know, she's a little slight for that position, but I don't think we've seen anything that would indicate that she can guard out on the perimeter. I think her shooting is a little bit more valuable from the four position than it is from the three. So I I see Katie Lou as a four, and I I don't think there's... I think if she can't play that position, the the outlook doesn't look great for her. I totally agree with that. When I say what is Katie Lou's position, I mean, actually more on defense because one of her problems in Chicago was that like she couldn't guard threes or fours. So it was kind of like, where do you get her minutes from? And she wasn't hitting the outside shot. I do believe she's, in fact, I know she's a much better shooter than what she showed in the limited minutes she got in Chicago. But again, it's like there are, there are players ahead of her at either position. So that's a good question for you. Like, I think Allery is, she can be more of a traditional post player if you want to put her in that, in that category. But she can also stretch the floor as a legitimate front court player. Like, whereas Katie Lou, you're kind of saying like, okay, we're just going to play her. We're just going to say she's a four just so, we can hide her on defense guarding fours, right? right? It's like, I think Allery has the easier route to more minutes If to answer your question. Of course, they drafted another player in the first round because they had a ton of first-round picks. Taisha Harris, point guard from South Carolina, had a really good senior season. I think she increased her value, like, the most out of almost any prospect in the class, obviously because South Carolina was so freaking good. But Harris, she's a great floor general. She made the most of her passing. I was surprised. I wasn't really high on her as a prospect because I didn't think she had that high of a ceiling. I still don't. But when I looked at the synergy statistics, I mean, she was in the 94th percentile in points per possession, also accounting for assists in transition, and the 96th in the half court. So, like, she was able to run really effective offense both in the half court and in transition, which I think is, is very valuable. She does kind of strike me as, as like a game manager type at the next level. And that's not meant to be a slight. It's just meant to be something as like, she's listed at 5'10". I'm not sure if she's actually like 5'10", but she's got size at the point guard position. She can come in, she can play like aggressive defense at the point of attack, which, you know, wings need defense everywhere. So that, that'll be helpful while distributing effectively on offense. She knows how to defer to others, especially post players. Um, not sure if that's going to be the case here in Dallas, but at South Carolina, they were extremely post-driven. And I think she's, she's probably a pretty good pick at number seven. Like she's, I don't think she's going to be a star in the league, but she's going to be plenty adequate for the Wings if for no other reason than just like to solidify the point guard position that the Wings basically got nothing out of. So if you're considering Satu Savoy and Bella Allery as higher ceiling picks, I think Taisha Harris was more of a safe pick in number seven, purely because like they needed a point guard and they needed something, someone with her skill set, and that's who they're going to get. I mean, she is a what-you-see-is-what-you-get type of player. I think she's going to stick around in the league just because of her intangibles and her ability to run an offense and her, her relative size at the point guard position. Not sure how much she's actually going to play on this Wings team, though, given that Arike did show to be a pretty good point guard last season and that they will be bringing back a veteran in Mariah Jefferson as well. Which of these three players has the best chance to develop into at least a solid starting level player in the 
Katie Lou, Allery, or Megan Gustafson? I got to go with Allery on this one. I'm not convinced that any of those players are going to be able to defend their position at a high enough level to really become solid starting players. Of course, once again, it's always, you know, a starting player on a good team. But again, I'm, I'm super concerned about Samuelson's ability to do that. I don't think she's ever honestly going to be a starting caliber player because of that. So that's, that's kind of like process of elimination. It's, it just kind of X's her out of that. Sure. And then Gustafson, like, again, the defensive metrics just aren't favorable for her. I mean, she does do some things well, namely she's very, she's got excellent footwork in the post and she is a very good finisher around the rim. That's not, that's not a, a flash in the pan. Like I, I watched her at Iowa and she was extremely skilled post player. But again, it's like, can she develop a three point shot? Like Allery already has, I think Allery kind of has the most value of any of those players right now. Does that answer your question? Yeah, sure. And I don't know Allery's game a ton, obviously, uh, not familiar with college basketball, but between, you know, Katie Lou and Megan Gustafson, you know, I agree with you. I don't think either one of them are going to be starting caliber players, but I do think, you know, Gustafson at least has a chance to be a solid rotation player. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, she's, she's a bully down there on the block, oh, yeah. 65% within five feet last year, you know, granted in, in very limited attempts, you know, she is an extremely left-handed dominant player. <laughs> she had 55 field goal attempts all of last year, 43 of which came from within nine feet and three of those, she went to the right hand. Two of those three were blocked and zero of those three went in. So she is not going right. You know, she lives on the left block to be sure either for straight post-ups or or offensive rebounds or dump offs, but she's an effective player in sort of what it is that she does and was very efficient last year. And, you know, the defense does not look promising. But it's kind of hard to tell, you know, where she is as a team defender because this team defense was just such a such a train wreck last year. You know, they were very confusing to watch, and I think they were confusing or confused when they were playing. You know, <laughs> the, the communication looked bad. So, you know, she graded out well as a post defender in very limited attempts. Didn't really seem to provide much in terms of verticality or in terms of foot speed. And, you know, the recognition was okay, but wasn't really able to challenge effectively when she got there. So, and, you know, even within her efficiency, I think she was really someone who feasted on, on bench lineups, you know, going against other backup centers and and backup bigs. And then when she was sort of against the big dogs in the league, she, she really struggled a lot more. So her, her perfect role, I think is as, as a backup center and really feasting in that role. You know what she wants to do. You know, she wants to post up and go to her left hand, but like the fact that she's so efficient with her left hand kind of speaks to just how good she is around the rim. And, I almost wish she would, you know, grab more offensive rebounds. Like she's an okay offensive rebounder, I feel. But if she got just one more, off- one, two offensive rebounds per game, that would do her so well because like, because she's so good at finishing around the rim, you know, I, th- I think that would really maximize her value as a low post player. Also, if she develops a three point shot, I mean, we say that about everybody, but it's because it's true. If you have a post player who can develop a three point shot, you know, both playing inside and out on offense, it just, totally expands what you want to do. And the shot looks good, right? I mean, yeah. it's a it's a pretty good shot. It goes in from the elbows. So I think that'll come around. And with regards to the offensive rebounds, I was surprised that her offensive rebound rate wasn't higher. You know, sub 10%, pretty good, but not amazing. A lot of times when you're dealing with kind of small sample size issues with rebounding, it's because the rebound rates are, are too high. And the more that you play, you know, you just kind of have less energy to go chase those boards. So, but you know, small sample size works both ways. Maybe that will be something that she kind of improves on in larger minutes. But I think one reason I expected her offensive rebound rate to be higher was 
that she just like seems to score every time she gets the offensive rebound. Like she's extremely effective in putbacks and, you know, she'll just plant herself on the left side for offensive rebounds, use her body well when, when she is there. And she's either kind of getting to the line there or putting it back in. So it's tough to say this about a rookie, but I think she kind of is what she is. And yeah, you know, hopefully she can develop it in certain areas, but she's a, a good backup big who I think will be able to sort of feast against bench units more so than, you know, someone you consider a long-term starter in your rebuild. Okay. So which players on this roster do you think will be a significant part of the next good Dallas Wings team? So first of all, how good is good? (laughs) Good is playing in the second round, let's say. Okay. So first, I think you have to say the young stars, which would be Enrique Gunbuale and Satu Savali. They're building blocks. The team cannot afford to let them go like they have so many players in the past, but that's, that's a different discussion. I mean, that's, this is pretty obvious. Those are the teams, those are the players the team is going to be building around. If you're going to be making, if you're going to be a second round caliber team, these players need to be there. All right. And then I think the paid, the, the veterans who are already getting paid, like Mariah Jefferson, Izzy Harrison, Estu and Du, they're all signed through 2022 per uh, high post hoop salary cap report. Those contracts are going to be very difficult to unload, especially in Du, who's going to be paid nearly $200,000 a year towards the end of her contract. So I, I think just looking at it from a perspective of will they be on the team? Yes, I think they will because it's going to be difficult to get rid of them. <laughs> but like, I mean, in Deuce instance, especially, she's a very beneficial player on both ends of the floor. Like we said, she's probably their best two-way player at the moment. And there's a reason why they went after her so hard in free agency. So I think those players will all be there. And then like the complimentary players who are still on rookie deals, Bella Allery, Taisha Harris, Katie Lou Samuelson, probably, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> if she really is that bad defensively, then she might not be on the team by that point. But Allery and Harris, I think for sure, because like there's no reason to give up on them that early. All those players that I've mentioned, by the way, they're all signed through 2022. Again, all the credit to High Post Hoops for the salary information. So it's like the veteran contracts are going to be difficult to unload, and the rookie contracts, there's really no reason to go out of your way and get rid of them, right? Because they're going to be so cheap to maintain. The one player I have a question about is Alicia Gray. She's only signed through this season. I think she's due for a pretty nice raise. I think you'd agree with that. But she's a player who's like, you got to keep her around. Especially because like the Wings have all these players on rookie contracts. They have all the cap space. So they will be able to sign Alicia Gray. So going back to your question, I count at least seven or eight of these players who will hopefully be sticking around. Like you look at this rebuild they're going through, they unloaded like half their roster, right? If they're going to be a competing team, if they're going to be a good team, they can't do that again between now and then and expect to still be be competing, you know? Sure. My list is a lot shorter, uh, mostly because I don't think they're going to be good before 2022 when all of those players expire. I think they've got still some rebuild ahead of them, but I think, you know, Agumbo Ali and Sabali, to be sure, you know, Alicia Gray probably... And there isn't really anybody else on this roster that I would say is a good bet to be on the next good Wings team. Okay, so so just to clarify, you don't think they will be a good team by 2022? I have a hard time seeing it, to be honest. I mean, they might, you know, squeak into the playoffs, I guess, if, if other teams start blowing it up. But I, I don't think they'll be the fifth or sixth seed by 2022. Okay. So what level of player do you see as these players' most likely outcome? My levels here are superstar star, solid starter, solid rotation player, and low-end rotation player. Let's start with Arike Agumboale. 
Okay, so just to clarify terms, by superstar, how many superstars do you think are currently in the WNBA? Probably like six. Okay, that's, that's very helpful to know. In that case, I'd say Arike will be a star, not a superstar star. Like going back to her, her shooting splits, like month by month that we talked about early in the show, the three-point shooting was a bit of a mirage. I, think, I don't think she's a 45% three-point shooter, but there's no reason to expect her not to become one of the best scoring guards in the league. In fact, I think she already is one of the best scoring guards in the league. You know, it depends on kind of what the Wings have planned for her. Is she going to continue to be this extremely high-usage player? If they're going to be a contending team, I don't think that's the right approach. I can see why people might be falling in love with her ability to get to the line and ability to distribute as well, but that didn't really lead to much team success last season. Of course, you could turn that around and say, well, they didn't have anybody, and and I would listen to that argument as well. But I think she's going to be a star, for sure. Uh, She's just too talented not to be. Um, As far as a superstar, I don't think she's going to be that level just because, like, you know, defensively, I don't think she's ever going to be a plus defender. And if, you're, and if your terminology is like, there's only currently six superstars in the league, I don't think she's ever going to be a top six player in the league. But like top 15, I could see it for sure. Okay, next player, Satu Sabali. Okay, also I think star. Again, like it, it's, it's hard to say a rookie is going to be a superstar unless you're talking about somebody like a no-brainer, like a Brianna Stewart type of player. I think Sabley, again, she's just too skilled and too versatile not to be really good. The main question I have about her is, does she have that killer instinct and leadership to become the number one option on a good team? Is she going to be the number one option on the wings ever with Enrique there? I don't know. Probably not. But like, I don't think the Satu Sabley we saw at Oregon is the full package that you're getting from Satu Sabali. I think there's a lot more that you can get from her specifically, you know, like moving without the basketball, whether it be off cuts or getting her in the post to punish mismatches against smaller players. She can really do it all offensively. Again, I, I just, I'm just not calling her a superstar because I don't know, man, there's just, it, it's, it's really difficult for me to call players who I've never seen play at the professional level, a superstar caliber talent. Is, is that fair? That's definitely fair. I mean, I, I don't want to get you ahead of ourselves, but would you say that Sabrina Ionescu, her most likely outcome would be superstar? <laughs> yeah, that's you're, you're putting me on the spot with that one. All right, let's just, let's just cut it out. No, 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 no. no. It's, I want to answer the question. I want to answer the question. I think it's a possible outcome. I don't think it's the most likely one. Yeah, and actually, I, I kind of want to say something too. You know, I think... Obviously, I, I'm not going to really have much to say about the rest of these players here, but I do think Arike Gumbawale has superstar potential in her. You know, I do think that she can just kind of carry an offensive burden in a way where she will be able to sort of drive that efficiently, whether it be just kind of hitting tough shots, blowing by her defender, hitting enough three-pointers, and then getting to the line. So I, I would have to agree with you in regards to her becoming a star, but I wouldn't rule it out to be sure that she gets okay. to superstar potential. Okay, next one, Taisha Harris. I think Ty Harris is going to be a solid rotation player. Again, I don't think she's got a very high ceiling, but what we know about her is that she can run a team. She's got decent size for a point guard. So I think just based on that and looking at like looking at the players, looking at the point guards specifically who have who keep getting these training camp invites and who keep making teams. You know, some people will go out and say, oh, why does so-and-so keep making teams? You know, it's always these, these heady type of players who, who can run a team, who can play good defense at the point of attack, who can hit an outside shot. She's not going to be – Taisha Harris is never going to be a high-volume player, but I think she's going to be able to at least stick around in the league for a while if she can hit the three-point shot consistently. It's something that she wasn't good at early on in her career, I don't believe, at South Carolina, but she has worked on it 
to become a dependable three-point shooter. So, yeah, I'm going to go solid rotation player. I think if she's maybe spot starter, I'm not sure if she's going to be a starting caliber point guard, but I'm going to go solid rotation player for now. Okay, Bella Allery. I've got Allery like the outcome as a solid starter. I know I had a lot of questions about her and like it's fair, but I mean, stretch forwards are only going up in demand, right? And she can do a little bit more in every other area. It's not like she's purely going to be a pick and pop player. Don't get me wrong. She does have ball skill. She is going to be able to play with her back to the basket a little bit. And she graded very, very well in transition. Although once again, context, like Princeton was just blowing the doors off of everybody and especially defensively. So she got more than enough wide open looks in transition in Princeton. But if Bella can at least be at least average on defense, I'd see no reason why she can't at least be a starter just because of that skill at a position where that skill is so highly valued. Does that make sense? Because like, I, I'm, she's, I don't think she's going to be a star, but I think the wings are going to be hoping she becomes a solid starter just because of the ability to hit the three-point shot and to do a little bit of everything with the basketball. It's going to take a little bit of, a little bit of work to develop her, but I think the likely outcome is she will be a starting caliber player. Megan Gustafson. Uh, I, okay, so this is the, the that, one. That's what you had in your notes, by the way, was meh. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I read in that voice. Um, like, I wanted to say, I go back and forth on her. Like, solid rotation player, I could see it because she is so good at what we talked about. Like, she's so good at scoring on the low block. Defensive and lack of defensive playmaking in particular, like, she's not going to block a lot of shots or get a lot of steals, I think. That's going to always be a concern for her, especially in regards to athleticism. Like. Like you said, she's pretty much a f- almost a finished product. I don't think that's fair to say of any first-year player. But what you see is what you get as far as she's a skilled low post player and finisher. Her offensive skills, again, like I said, they weren't a flash in the pan. We know what Megan Gustafson is good at. She will continue to be very, very good at that. She's like a decent rebounder, but like not really a great one, which I think is, is significant for a, a frontcourt player. Again, I got to say, can she develop a three-point shot? I don't think she's ever going to be a starting caliber player. I think she can be a solid rotation player. It's that uncertainty on defense that is keeping me on the fence between solid rotation and low-end rotation player. So with Gustafson, you know, the one thing I would say, and we'll save the majority of our Christine Anigwe content for the Sparks episode, but with Gustafson, you can at least see like real high-level skills that she brings to the table. You know, she is a dominant and efficient scorer on the low block. I mean, dominant is probably a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but she's an efficient scorer on the low block. You know, she scores well from there. She can post up. She can finish. You know, there's not much else after that. She can offensive rebound okay. Whereas, you know, a player like Christina Nigue, maybe it's a little less clear what the road is for her to become a regular rotation player in the league. You know, it's a little bit harder to find the things that she really is going to do well to kind of earn those minutes outside of, you know, just kind of rebounding the ball well and getting to the free throw line as someone who shoots it every time they touch the basketball. But so I, I think she is kind of a solid rotation player, definitely, you know, not a starter. And I think the one thing that's sort of holding me back on this wings team is their starting big of the future. That's really going to kind of anchor this team, but Gustafson can play. So my, my next player for you is Katie Lou Samuelson. Okay. And, and before, before I go to Katie Lou real quick, I wanted to say one thing on Gustafson versus Inigwe. Just so everyone knows, I'm still on the Christine Inigwe bandwagon. I'm going to die on that hill for at least another year. But you bring up a very good point. Something weird happened. Like, Gustafson was cut from the wings after training camp last season, but then they brought her back, and they ended up signing her to a multi-year extension during free agency, like before the draft. 
they didn't have to do that. And it's not like she was a huge contributor for them down the stretch either. Like she didn't play heavy minutes, but I didn't, cons- I didn't consider it from that perspective, maybe re-signing a, what you see is what you get type of player where, you know, someone who's, who's going to come in with the tangible and obvious skill like Gustafson, maybe that's a player who they wanted during this rebuild because there's so much uncertainty elsewhere. So that's a good point, Stephen. That's, I hadn't considered that previously. Okay, so Katie Lusamuson. I have solid rotation player, although I could hear an argument for low-end rotation player if you're that down on her defense and her inability to move her feet. Again, I think she's a better shooter than what she showed in Chicago, but she's just always going to be limited by that lack of athleticism and inability to guard any one position. I think she can become a better offensive player. Like, she's got touch. She's, she's got offensive skill. And she's a pretty good shooter, but it's like, how many minutes are you really going to be investing in her? How patient are you going to be with her defensively to the point where her offensive skills can be utilized? So I don't know. What do you think about that? This is, this is, this is one I wasn't really sure about. Yeah. Of the players, you know, we had four players on this list. The next, the last one we'll get to next four players on this list that played in the W last year. I think this was the hardest one for me because I do lean low-end rotation player but at the same time all the things go through my mind you know she struggled with injury last year she is a better shooter than she indicated you know she got to the line pretty efficiently but you know if you are just unable to to guard your position kind of at all then it's really tough especially as what i would consider a four in sort of the golden age of power forwards in the WNBA. i mean yeah pretty much every team in the league has a very good to great power forward. You know, who who is she going to guard? How does she stop those players? That's a question that I was asking ever since the Sky drafted her. And uh, we have yet to see it. But then again, you know, we're also talking about bench lineups and maybe her offense against bench lineups, which might struggle to score a little bit more going both ways. Playing for bench lineups, her offense can be valuable and playing against bench lineups, her, her defense isn't as catastrophic. So maybe it works out for her, but I, I think I'm still kind of low end rotation player on Katie Lou. Okay, last player, Marina Mabry. So out of the players that you've asked me about, I think it's least likely that Mabry will be around on the wings for very long. You know, I I think she was better than I expected her to be on Los Angeles, though. I think she can contribute as far as a shooter. I think she's a pretty good spot-up shooter. And she's someone who, like, who really gets after it on defense. I'm not sure how effective she really was. I mean, it it says she was in the 88th percentile guarding spot-ups. And pick-and-roll ball handler, she was, like, okay, 57th percentile. I did not realize just how poor she was as a pick-and-roll ball handler, though. Fifth percentile in pick-and-roll ball handler situations. That was shocking to me. That, that's not a situation I would ask Marina Mabry to do very often. Even before seeing those numbers, I, I had not seen that statistic, and I would not consider Marina Mabry as a pick-and-roll player. She's also in the sixth percentile in transition. Would you not want her in transition either? <laughs> that I maybe would kind of hope for better results from. Yeah. So, and by the way, uh, the pick and roll ball handler, she was about 24% of her possessions came in pick and roll ball handlers. So um, she played for the Sparks last year. What coach was it? I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that. That's we'll save that for the Sparks episode. I think a uh, solid rotation player would be a lot to ask of Mabry just because of, I don't think she has a very high ceiling. Again, I think what you see is what you get. She can shoot it. That's for sure. But she strikes me as a player who is always going to be fighting to make a roster. And for that reason alone, I have to say low end rotation player. Would you agree with that? I want to say solid rotation player. 
I, I do because I like Marina Mabry's game. You know, I think her shooting numbers are not, you know, necessarily indicative to the type of shooter that she really is. I, I think as her career goes on, if given the opportunity, those numbers will climb up. Her, her I mean, her shot looks great. Like she looks like a oh, shooter. Yeah. So I do want to say solid rotation player, but I think the most likely scenario is low end rotation player, probably. Yeah, it's it's like someone who's that bad at making who, who struggles that much rather at making plays in the pick and roll. I don't know, man. I'd want my point guard to be able to do that. And and the transition number like like that that's a big flag red flag for me as well. So like I said, I think she's always going to be low on anyone's depth chart. And if she's not, well that team might have a problem and that's, that's all due, due respect to Mavery, but I just don't, I just don't see a very high ceiling for her. So anything okay. else you'd like to address here? No, I think we're good. Where, where do you see this team finishing? I still don't think they're a playoff team. In fact, I'd probably put them, I don't think they're even on the bubble either, honestly. Like I, I think there are three teams that you can for sure. Well, actually, no, I think the wings are like the for sure team. I can say will not make the playoffs. And that's just because like this defense, man, it, I, I can't get over Like, how are they going to be even adequate defensively? I don't think that's even a possibility. For other teams, like, you know, Indiana, like, they've got a new coach. New York, they have a new everything. So, they like, and, and they're going to want to play a lot differently than they did previously. So that's a big question mark. But Dallas, they've got a lot of question marks I don't think are going to be answered right away. They're rebuilding, dude. That's it, It's plain and simple. And they need more time. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I'd say 10th at best. How about you? Yeah, I think they have the best shot in the league to be the worst team in the league. Um, I have them <laughs> in, in my bottom tier along with you know New York, which obviously is a much higher variance play with, right, with all exactly. the roster turnover. So you know they might not end up being the worst team in the league because you know there are some good players on this team, to be sure. And, and maybe those four or five good wing players that they have are, are enough to sort of carry them to not the basement. But, you know, I think it's going to be tough. And honestly, one more down season probably is the worst thing in the world for this roster. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to, to get into just to make a point. I don't want to use the T word, but like what would a playoff appearance even benefit the wings next season? I don't think so. Yeah, other than maybe adding some, you know, trade value to pieces that are not really long for this roster anyway. Let, yeah. let, let the young players kind of find their footing and hope you get good lottery results. And I remember uh, Wings uh, President Greg Bibb saying before the draft, we might be painfully young and that's okay. So I think that pretty much says it all, to be honest. Like this is, this is a multi-year rebuilding project. Most rebuilding projects are, the Wings are in the thick of it, but that doesn't mean they won't be a fun team to watch next season. So you know, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Anything yeah. else you want to hit on? No, I mean, just as like somebody who doesn't watch college basketball, I'm, I'm really excited to see what Satu Savali brings to the yeah. WNBA. You know, I, I don't watch the college game, as I've mentioned a painful number of times on this podcast, but absorbing the conversation around Satu Savali, you know, she seems like a, the type of player that I am uh, very interested in and will find uh, to be joyful to watch. Yeah, like it's when I talk about her being super versatile and super skilled, that's not a hot take. It pretty much everyone thinks that way. So it's it's going to be really fun to see her and, and to see how she's utilized, especially under such a long tenured coach like Brian Agler. So yeah, so keep an eye on those Wings youngsters. Uh, it should be an interesting developmental season for them next, next year. And uh, yeah, Stephen, you want to sign us off? Sure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcast Manager, it's now called. So if you have any feedback, 
please let us know at Double Down WNBA, at Nemchok E, and at Trinkwald on Twitter. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care.